Evidence-Based Dermatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 82, Effect of Reduced Dose versus High-Dose Glucocorticoids Added to Rituximab on Remission Induction in Inca-Associated Vasculitis, the LOVAS trial. This was published in JAMA in 2021. Now, before I get started, I wanted to say, welcome back. I'm excited to be here talking to you again. I've had a very, very busy couple of months with COVID research, meta research, uh, and of course the series on the vasculitis guidelines that we just put out. Apologies if you are getting tired of all the vasculitis content, but it is what I'm passionate about. I'm sure I'll get back to some other topics in the very, very near future. If you do like the vasculitis content, please be sure to drop by the ACR Convergence Vasculitis Community Hubs. I'll be talking there with uh, Peter Merkel and Christina Ponte, who are running it, and they have some great talks. And finally, a quick plug for yet another project that I'm working on, which is a newsletter, which is being run by Figure One, and I'm doing it in collaboration with Anisha Dua. We'll be talking about things that we care about in rheumatology. I think we'll have a lot of great content coming in the next couple months. So be sure to drop by my website, ebroom.com, click on the link to go subscribe, and please do me a favor and join uh, to get all of the information delivered into your inbox. With that, let's talk about the LOVAS trial. Now, this is one of those papers that I read and I could not stop thinking about. It came as quite a surprise to me, and I've been digesting it over the past couple months and still have not totally figured out how I feel about it. LOVAS was an open-label, two-group, parallel-designed, multi-center, randomized controlled trial. I'm never a big fan of open-label trials, but I'm a huge fan of investigator-initiated trials, and I don't think this would have happened if they had to figure out a way to pay for blinding and all that jazz, so I appreciate their efforts to do this, and ultimately, because both groups were getting steroids, I don't know that it terribly impacted the results. Still, a concern. To get into the trial, you had to have vasculitis, you have microscopic pongitis, uh, granulomatosal pongitis, or renal-limited vasculitis. I'll just call it vasculitis from now on. And you had to test positive for MPO ANCA or PR3 ANCA. Now, patients were excluded if they had severe glomerulonephritis, so that's an EGFR less than 15, which I don't love, or alveolar hemorrhage, and they put in parentheses oxygen inhalation greater than 2 liters per minute. I, I don't love that either, because I really would have been interested to see how those groups did, but I can see why they did that. I'll be totally honest with you when we talk about the steroid taper, I would not have enrolled a patient in the study if they had either of those things. Randomization, like I said, was unblinded, and then participants were randomly allocated to either a reduced dose or a high-dose glucocorticoid group. Now, let me tell you, this wasn't a little bit reduced. This was a very reduced group. Now, if you remember the PEXAVAS trial, patients were started on a milligram per kilogram, give or take, and then they're tapered somewhat slowly over over six months and then leveled off around five milligrams uh, per day. Now, the high dose or the standard taper for LOVAS was the same as the high dose from PEXAVAS. The low dose uh, LOVAS regimen was even lower than the already low PEXAVAS reduced group. It was even lower than the advocate steroid taper that I have recently been somewhat critical of. So these patients did not get very much steroids at all. Similar to the advocate study, steroids were actually stopped at five months in the reduced dose group. So when the primary endpoint was assessed at six months, that was actually off steroids in the reduced dose group. This is, again, a pretty aggressive practice. I think a lot of us like to level out around five and slowly, if we taper that in the first year at all, go down. So uh, a pretty aggressive steroid taper. 
For background therapy in this trial, everyone got rituximab, which I actually like. I give rituximab upfront for pretty much anyone who would have gotten into this trial. So this closely mirrors my practice. The primary endpoint was remission rate at six months. This was defined as a BVAS score of zero, which is a pretty standard outcome measure for anchovasculitis trials, and uh, oral prednisone dose of 10 milligrams or lower, uh, which is pretty reasonable. I mean, if you have a patient who's requiring more than 10 milligrams of prednisone, I would say that I would consider that to be not so much in remission. There were a number of secondary endpoints, all of which were reasonable. And as an investigator-initiated trial, there was a lot of patient report outcome measures. So kudos to them for doing that. Always appreciate seeing it. There were a couple of ways that you could have analyzed this from a statistical perspective. They wound up doing this as a non-inferiority trial. I'm not a big fan of non-inferiority trials, but it's not totally unreasonable in this case. There's no real plausible reason to expect a reduced dose steroid taper to be superior to a standard dose taper, certainly not with respect to efficacy. So if your primary endpoint is just to show that this is just as good, non-inferiority makes sense. They picked a non-inferiority margin of 20 percentage points for the difference in remission rates, which seems a little bit wide to me. I see this a lot in non-inferiority trials where how we define non-inferiority is still within a somewhat unacceptable range to me. I would have appreciated something like 10 percentage points perhaps. Ultimately, I don't know that that mattered, but it's worth noting. Gatekeeping procedures are quite common these days in randomized controlled trials. They didn't do that. They essentially just said, you know, everything except for the primary endpoint is exploratory, which is fine. I think that's reasonable, but, you know, it's worth a caveat that this trial was really assessed to barely prove one thing, which is that the reduced dose steroids was not worse than the standard dose. I would say that that's a somewhat small thing to accomplish, but with the difference in the steroid regimens, I think that that is actually quite accomplishment if they can do even that. What happened with enrollment? So 146 patients were approached, 70 were randomized to each group. It looks like the analysis was conducted on a modified intention to treat basis. Uh, 69 and 65 were analyzed in each group. The patients in this trial are actually very important and quite interesting to think about. Median age was 73, 74, so they were an older cohort. I certainly see a fair number of patients in that age range, but I think that this is a higher median age range than what I'm typically used to seeing. Notably, this was conducted at centers in Japan, so it is not a single center study, but it is a single country study, and that introduces some somewhat idiosyncratic things to uh, the patient population itself. Now, most of them were also microscopic polyangiitis. So that's almost three quarters or almost four and five of the sample were, were, were um, microscopic polyangiitis, which tends to relapse less and have a somewhat better prognosis. Going along with that, the vast majority were also MPO ANCA positive, so 87 and 85% in each group, respectively. And then what I said earlier about how the inclusion criteria were going to exclude people who are somewhat sick, that really did pan out. The EGFR for both groups was 52 and 55, respectively. There were certainly some people who had kidney involvement, but no one who was terribly ill, and a fair number who had somewhat normal kidney function. BVAS scores were around 15, which is, for me, a, a somewhat respectable BVAS score. I mean, this is a patient with active vasculitis. So I think that that's reasonable, but it's worth noting that this was trial was conducted in one country on a specific group of people who had a specific type of vasculitis and weren't terribly ill. Does not apply to your patient who is on the ventilator in the ICU with renal failure at all. And I think it would be totally inappropriate to apply the steroid taper to a patient like that. The primary endpoint, as we discussed, BVAS remission, less than 10 milligrams of steroids, was met at six months. 
71% of people in the uh, regular steroid group and 69.2% of people in the reduced dose steroid group achieved remission. I have to say that I was quite surprised to see that. These patients did not get very much steroids at all, and they seemed to do just as well. Like I said, I didn't love that the non-inferiority margin was so wide and allowed for a somewhat large difference between the groups and still calling it non-inferior, but ultimately they wound up being about the same, and I suspect if they had added more power to the study, they wouldn't have seen anything different. So kind of reassuring on that count. As I mentioned, these secondary outcomes were all exploratory, but there are a couple that are worth noting. There really weren't very many deaths, two and three, so I don't think there's anything you can say about that that's meaningful. The patients in the low-dose group obviously got quite a lot less steroids. The cumulative median dose wound up being 1.3 grams compared to 4.1 grams, 4.2 grams, which is a, a quite large difference in steroid dose and the kind that you would expect to result in some real benefits to patients' quality of life. Uh, there were no differences in the SF36 um, or the BVAS activity scale, which is interesting. But there was a difference in the patient visual analog scale, so a patient reported outcome measure, that showed that on a, as far as treatment toxicity is concerned, the people who got less steroids felt like they were less experienced less toxicity. Remember, this is unblinded, so I don't know how to interpret that. If you tell people they're in the group that's getting less treatment, it seems plausible that they would feel like they're getting less toxicity, and maybe there's some placebo effect there. On the other hand, you gave them three grams less steroid, so it's entirely reasonable to me to imagine that there was less steroid toxicity seen in the group that got way less steroids. Notably, the Pexavast study, which used a reduced-dose steroid taper, which was still quite a bit more steroids than people in the low group here got. And in Pexavas, we did see less infections at least at one year for the people who got reduced dose steroid tapers. So entirely plausible to me that someone who got less steroids would feel quite a bit better. Reassuringly, they looked at the vascularized damage index, which was no difference at six months between the two groups. And a number of sensitivity analyses uh, overall supported the primary analysis. There were a couple of uh, interesting charts in the supplemental materials, but nothing that really contributed meaningfully or added to the overall thrust of this trial. What we saw here was a very low steroid taper, and we saw the investigators get away with it. People seemed to do just as well who got the low steroid taper, and they had less toxicity. How do we interpret this in light of recent events? Now, let me tell you my main take-home point, which is that you are using too much steroid. I talk to a lot of people, and I, I'm always curious to hear how they treat ankyovasculitis, and so far, every single one of them has been using more steroids than Lovas, they've been using more steroids than Advocate, they've been using more steroids than Pexavas Low. I think the majority of folks that I interact with are somewhere around the Pexavas high trial, where they start with a mig per kilogram and they taper very slowly over six months to a year. There is good evidence from a number of trials now that that is not necessary for most patients, with some caveats. And there's good evidence that from multiple trials now that that is associated with worse outcomes. At this point, we have very effective treatments for ankyovasculitis, and most of our patients are suffering from glucocorticoids. It is not the disease itself that is adding to their morbidity, and really, in a lot of cases, mortality is coming from infection. So you should be making efforts to give less steroids. My second comment is that this is just not generalizable. This was done on a group of people in one country. They had a specific type of vasculitis, which is the kind of vasculitis that you would expect to do well in this trial. And they had a degree of sickness, which is the kind of sickness you would expect to do well in this trial. 
I will not be using the steroid taper for people who have severe diffuse alveolar hemorrhage or severe renal involvement or neurologic involvement or a number of the other things that we see in ankyovasculitis that we worry about. This was a nice trial in a narrow population, and I think it applies well to that narrow population, but I don't think it applies outside of it. And last but not least, what do we do about this in Avacapan? I was somewhat critical about the Avacapan study's low-dose steroid taper. It had been decided upon before Pexavast low-dose steroid taper had been shown to be effective. It stopped patients entirely before the six-month window where they assessed outcome measures, and it didn't continue patients on any therapies after six months. Now, the LOVAS trial didn't give us any information about patients at one year, so for all we know, by one year, the group that got more steroids was doing better. Ultimately, this leaves me a little bit reassured by the steroid taper that the Avacapan trial used, but it also leaves me wondering if we need Avacapan at all. The steroid taper in LOVAS was a small amount of steroids, and if we can get away with that, there's probably a subset of patients for whom a low-dose steroid regimen with no avacapan would be just as reasonable and certainly more cost-effective. I haven't entirely decided how I'm going to approach these, but let me give you a couple ideas. The first is that there's a group of patients who have horrible ankyovasculitis. They have severe kidney failure, they're on the ventilator in the hospital, they have severe neurologic involvement. I would be uncomfortable giving them either a vacapan and no steroid taper or giving them the low-vas regimen because I don't think that the, the either data really apply to that sicker-than-sick group of people. There's a middle range of patients for whom a vacapan might be a nice option and for whom it would be nice to save them the Pexavas low-dose steroid taper. I certainly wouldn't give the background therapy that was given in a vacapan. I don't think any of us thinks it's appropriate to stop rituximab at month six. And I'm still kind of on the fence about whether or not we can really stop steroids entirely at week month five, give or take, the way a vacapan and Lovas did. I think that that last five milligrams of steroids is not terribly toxic and may very well save a couple of patients a relapse. So I think that the jury is still out on that question. And then there's a group of patients like those in this trial who are overall not severely ill from a lung perspective or a kidney perspective, have real deal ankyovasculitis, but can probably get away with not very much steroids. It's easy to feel like you need to give steroids because we're scared of ankyovasculitis, which you should be scared of ankyovasculitis, but you should also be scared of the side effects of your therapy. Just as you would feel bad and wonder if you could have done something differently when your patient relapses with ankyovasculitis, you should feel bad and you should wonder if you could have given less steroids when your patient with ankyovasculitis develops a femoral neck fracture or develops diabetes. Medicine is about risks and benefits, and I think that in ankyovasculitis, the risks of high doses of steroids are increasingly clearly outweighed by the benefits of tapering quickly. Now that should do it for this week. If you would like to hear more about my thoughts on this and the Advocate trial, that will be the next newsletter that will be published by Figure One. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, please drop by my website, ebroom.com, click on the link, subscribe, and join to get all the great content that Anisha Du and I are planning to put out. Thank you again for tuning in, hoping to see you at ACR, and have a great week. <laughs>